0: for the reading of God's Word. Again, good morning. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Psalm 119. And today's passage comes from verse 25 through 32. Psalm 119, 25 through 32. Hear now of God's Word. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life <clears throat> according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. And this is God's word. Amen. Please be seated. Continuing our ongoing series of the matters of the heart, and today's topic is sorrow. Many people experience sorrow, of course, through their life. It could be from a lot of different factors, of course, family, school, career, failed relationships, friendships, death of someone close, injustice, even sorrow over one's sins and patterns of sins. And on a spiritual level, people experience sorrow during confusion, doubt. We should also mention, in the midst of many sufferings of various kinds, the list goes on and on. And when people are in a downturn, let's say, sometimes friends would half-jokingly offer quick diversions to get them through the tough times, sometimes really trivial things to try to help. And I'll try to be a little bit more lighthearted here because this is such a heavy topic. Someone might say, well, okay, Robin seems like he's going through a very hard time. I know what he wants, or I know what will get him through this. I will watch an entire season of Downton Abbey with him, straight through. I'd probably say, okay, that's a good idea. (laughs) Or what you need is a bucket of good fried chicken. Or would you join me for a long bike ride? I love doing those things. Someone might say, get your mind off what's keeping you down. Let's go exercise. Let's go for a hike. Let's go throw axes. That's, I think, a thing these days. But you get it. When you feel like you're in a pit of despair, even a bit of sorrow, in whatever category of life, we seek escapes all the time to get us through. It could be music. It could be food. Actually, when I did campus ministry many, many years ago, It seemed like a lot of students would just try to find someone to date, and just that will help me get through my trial. It could be sports, whatever, to just get away from everything. Over the years, I've seen many people go through the sorrow of just simply life under the sun, our summer series of Ecclesiastes. I know some of you guys were disappointed that we concluded that part, but you just got to come back next summer. But that whole theme from King Solomon, the author of Ecclesiastes, is that He kept saying life under the sun, life under the sun. What he meant was life in a fallen world of sin. And when God is apart, when you're apart from God and you're trying to live life, you're trying to make sense in a world of a a fallen nature, everything is meaningless. And so obviously I can't have a clear conscience by just stating if someone is going through a time of sorrow, there, it's just gonna be fine there, there or let's forget about it, go, let's go do something fun. But there is a sense of helplessness that comes over you, either if you're going through it personally or if you're trying to minister to someone else going through it, what do you do, what do you say? And so although many wouldn't disagree that people deal with a weary soul, many often fail to address it and do a really good job of avoiding the issue altogether. So today, we see in this passage how this particular psalmist deals with the sorrow of the soul, how he deals with weariness, disillusionment, almost like a dehydrated spiritual state. Perhaps you're in the same situation right now. And so let's all ask God to open our ears to his word. And so before I begin with verse 25, I want to comment on Psalm 119 in general, overall, and I've mentioned this earlier in the year when I preached a different portion of Psalm 119. It's, it's not the shortest chapter in the Bible, it's the longest chapter, 176 verses. It is in an acrostic form that takes each Hebrew letter and uses that particular letter to start each verse in the respective eight verse section. So each stanza has eight verses, and while looking at the Hebrew text, it's wonderful to see how it works out visually and audibly. And you have to remember, in ancient times, they didn't have the printing press. So listening to God's Word being read was the tradition that they grew up with. Not everyone, obviously, had copies of the Scriptures. So a lot of it was simply learning by hearing. Now, the Hebrew alphabet consists of 22 letters. But taken as a whole, Psalm 119 centers on the concept of wisdom and how to live in wisdom according to God's Word. It's really trying to say... God's word is all you need for your life from A to Z. And so today's passage from 25 to 32, this stanza or, or strophe, deals with the fourth letter, dilet. And along with the previous stanza, these eight verses form a, form a lament psalm. But what was set as the foundation of these lament psalms was the first two stanzas that dealt with delighting in the law of the Lord. Many of you guys are familiar with this, much like Psalm 1, addressing where one can pursue the life of wisdom by delighting and following God's instruction. So now that we have some context, let's look at your Bibles. I always encourage, if you're new here, I encourage you to grab a a black Bible in front of you, turn there, or if it's on your phone, whatever, but have the whole word in front of you. Verse 25 again says, my soul clings to the dust, give me life according to your word. The New American Standard Version translated, my soul cleaves to the dust, revive me according to your word. Basically, it's a picture of one who's in the pit, who's in a serious state of spiritual uh, dehydration, who looks to God's word to be revived, to be preserved, to be nourished. And the reference of dust signifies a a realization of one's mortality, uh, mortality, as my Old Testament professor had once put it, meaning the psalmist wasn't saying he was just having a bad day. He was saying it's gotten really bad, enough to later on be described as sorrow of the soul. The psalmist realized only God can get him out of this. The imagery here is of a person dying of thirst, trapped in a desert, gasping for air since he's so dehydrated. And you keep rereading the text, you start to feel that dehydration... Much like if you watch a movie or show about a struggle to survive in the desert. I I think I've shared this illustration before, but I watched a movie with a friend called The Way Back. It was a true story about three men escaping an old Soviet Union labor camp and walking, seriously walking, 4,000 miles from Tibet to India for their freedom. It was based on a true story. And in the movie, The Way Back, they go through cold mountains, tough terrain, But much of it, and much of the, I think, three-hour-long movie, was walking through an endless desert. And my friend and I, my seminary friend and I, walked out of the theater looking at each other and just saying, whoa, that was really relaxing. (laughs) No, it was excruciating. My friend simply said, "I I need some water. Because similarly, similarly, we read today's psalm, and we can almost feel the plight of the psalmist. You're saying, I-, I need some water here. Reading this over and over, or listening to it read, so desperate in his humanity, in his fragile state, that he says, I- I'm going to cleave to the dust. And we should get that state that he's in. Don't just glance over that. Feel what he's going through in the text. He desires reviving and rejuvenation. He's at a dead end. But as the psalmists do throughout, there is hope. There is a remedy spoken of even in the midst of the most dreadful of times. And it's really what the psalmists do so well as an example for all of us. Letting God's word hit head on with our everyday struggles. He realizes this is his only hope is in God's word that that is the final remedy that he sees. It's the necessity to get out of all of this, this whole rot. God's word is truly water for his soul. It is God's word that replenishes and revives. And so starting off that stanza there, we go to 26 to 27. When I told on my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Because the psalmist is going through such adversities, he has become, as Dr. Willem van Germer, my Old Testament professor, put it, open. He's now become more teachable. He's ready to pray as he recounts his ways. He's ready to be taught God's decrees. Some of us, I think all of us are stubborn, some of us a little bit more than the other. But when there is this, the light switch goes on, light bulb goes off, and we, we, we get this sense in ourselves, I've been trying to wander aimlessly, I've been trying to go away from the Lord, and then something convicts you and I become open. Oh God, I, I, I want to be teachable now. Forgive me for being so stubborn. I want to pray as I recount my ways. I want to be ready to be taught your decrees. Holy, unchangeable, eternal sayings and thoughts of God. And not just to be taught. He shows a desire to understand the teaching of his precepts. His, it just means commandments. And through that, one could uh, meditate on the wonders of God's ways. And that just seems easy enough. But when people go through adversities, the knee-jerk reaction is to not be open and teachable. It is not to open up, but rather close up. Rather close yourself up more and more. To close yourself up not just to others, but also to God. It doesn't matter how long you've been attending Sunday worship services, Oftentimes, when we go through a pit of sorrow, we close up, even towards God. But as we have seen so far in these few verses, the one who understands that God is the remedy for our maladies goes to God no matter if things are going well or not, because you realize, God, you're the only one who can deliver me from this. But in what way does God deliver? How does He comfort? How does He strengthen? Look at verse 28 through 29, my soul melts away for sorrow, strengthen me according to your word, put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. When you read the first three verses, you might think this is gradually getting a bit more cheerful, but then he doesn't let you forget what he's going through. He brings you right back. I love how, the new again, the New American Standard translates the first portion of verse 28, my soul weeps because of grief. Sometimes it's easy for people to shed physical tears. I mean, it just flows. But for others, people shed tears in a very internal way. It is their soul that cries out with sorrow. Some of you guys are coming here every week, and and then if you tell someone a month later, I was actually going through a real deep pit, a lot of people at church here will say, "I, I had no idea. But we can also imagine, read earlier, Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he uttered the words, my soul is very sorrowful. My soul. In his humanity, Christ experienced this type of sorrow. It's kind of hard to imagine this. I was actually, as I was preparing for this week and just going over that Matthew passage, it's it's hard to imagine our Savior experiencing this deep type of sorrow. Because we want our Savior to be constantly strong and powerful, and nothing will ever harm him or hurt him or make him sorrowful over anything. But we see the humility of our Savior who had come to this dark, fallen earth to suffer, to drink the cup of breath, to die for our sins. And yes, his soul was sorrowful. We also see the humility here in the psalmist today in his admission of his sorrow. Sorrow is just... Dis- dis- Just any regular dictionary is defined as a feeling of deep distress caused by loss, disappointment, or other type of suffering. This pertains to oneself or even feeling sorrow. You could feel sorrowful for others, a feeling of deep distress caused by loss, disappointment, or other suffering. Sorrow seems to be a very normal human experience. Jesus himself experiences. So obviously to feel sorrow is not sin in itself. Some of you have experienced sorrow deeply as of late. Perhaps this past summer, this past year, or several years, the taste of that sorrow for some here is still very fresh. We're starting these pre-launch services in the afternoon in Roselle. And there's a dear couple friend of mine, who had their second child this past year, a lot of problems, birth defects, and just watching them as close friends go through that, yes, strong in their faith, but I could just see behind their eyes this confusion, despair, and sorrow, this helplessness over this little baby. The distress of the soul that more often than not you suffer with quietly, silently, and so, you don't want to bother others with your sorrow, nor do you feel necessarily like you actually want to share this anyway. But thanks be to God, we have Jesus. Thanks be to God, we have Jesus who sympathizes with us through all these things. He shared his sorrow with his disciples. And of course, he did this before our Heavenly Father. But other of us, it's not so easy. And so, my encouragement at this point is to simply realize again that he understands. He is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. He sympathizes. He can uphold you even in the darkest moments of your life. And if God hears the psalmist cry to him, he surely can hear you too, brothers and sisters. So, what does the psalmist know what to do when he sees his soul in this state? He asks God to strengthen him according to his word, verse 28. The word has the power to comfort, but not just as comfort, as one commentator puts it, but also as, quote, a means of grace that keeps a man away from the ways of the world. The false ways of the world, the anti-gospel. It's not not about us versus everyone out there. What the psalmist is talking about, the ways that trample on the things of God, the anti-gospel sentiment. The opposite of what we talked earlier, that God's word is this eternal decree of the Almighty to be revered and honored and looked to and depended on, not on the false ways and lies of this world and its crummy scraps and rotten flesh that we sometimes in our delusion and in our sin, we view as precious gold or the choices of meats and we go back to the table over and over again. This is what the psalmist is talking about. Many of us here perhaps maybe even recently had some type of stomach bug. Maybe you've gone through COVID and you felt like all the energy was just sapped from you. You could hardly move and get out of bed. You could hardly eat sometimes, hardly sometimes take even a sip of water. And then comes God through his word that provides that nourishing sustenance to your soul. So I'm just talking metaphorically about that. That there are times where spiritually we feel like that all the energy is just gone. And then you come back to the right table. To the nourishment that we need. Something we're going to do together in, in a moment at the Lord's Supper and the Lord's Table. And slowly but surely you feel strength return to your spiritual limbs, to your mind and to your thinking, to your endurance and your outlook of life. Oh, everything is not meaningless when I am united in union to you. Well, that all sounds really good to me. But as I mentioned earlier, many times when Christians are confronted with trials of sorrow, the word of God is the last thing that they want or desire. They keep hearing the phrase, get into the word, get into the word. And yet there's little desire to do just that. Most likely it's because they look at God's word as not living power, but perhaps All these pages in your Bible are just simple propositional truths that don't really help when the going gets rough. They don't really believe the necessity of God's Word colliding with real-life experiences. And if you haven't gone to God's Word to nourish you in that way, of course it's not going to be top of mind or top of the list in your dark moments. But for some of you here, it is in the times of deep, deep sorrow of the soul and spiritual dehydration, that you have done exactly what the psalmist had done. There are several of you here over this past year. It's just, I wish sometimes you can get a vantage point from my viewpoint of a lot of the burdens that this congregation shoulders. And definitely some of you have shared, you know what, Robin, thanks for the prayers, thanks for reaching out. I'm being comforted by God's word. That they acknowledged where you're at, that you pleaded with God that he would deliver you through his holy word. And of course, who this word points to ultimately for us is of course, Jesus Christ. And you have ample testimonies of God's word strengthening you in your deep, deep time of need. Share that. Don't bottle that up. Share that with others who are going through tough times of their own, depression, spiritual valleys, doubt, sickness, and fear. Tell them that they don't have to feel alone that God's word undoubtedly can strengthen and comfort in time of need. And so the light of hope seems to be welling up for the psalmist. And so now we come to the conclusion of our text today in Psalm 119, verse 30 through 32. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. If you notice, if you look at the text, that these last verses are very much action-oriented. I have chosen, I have set, or I cling. I hold fast to your testimonies of your deliverance, salvation, and grace. I run in the path. He not only realizes that God is the only one who could bring him out of this darkness, but he also realizes that in newfound, this newfound God-derived power and strength and grace-driven motion and action, it's his part to respond, to live, to cling, to run as if he is truly freed. Now the New American, uh, no, the, the, the NIV actually translate verse 22 as, I, I like this, I run in the path of your commands for you have set my heart free. I love that. What enables the psalmist to act in the first place, to actually not go the false way because without God he realizes he would go the false way, but to choose him is perpetually God. That's the enablement because he has set your heart free. It's not, God, I got this, give me 30 days. I'm gonna watch a couple of YouTube videos, they're gonna set me straight, give me 30 days to straighten myself out, I'm gonna splash some cold water over my face daily, and I'm just gonna wake up and be better for you. It's it's one of the the cringiest things that I hear, and I'm not judging, but over my, what, many years of ministry, when someone just says, Robin, I just wanna be a better person. I just want to be a better Christian. And I I get the sentiment, but there's just something backwards about that. That God is not just waiting for you to get right in yourself. Absolutely not. It's God who liberates us. It's God who sets the heart free. So that, and there is a so that, so that we can respond in the ways he has for us. And note how the psalmist doesn't just walk in the path of his commands, he runs. When people are liberated from oppression, from all of our our very scary and dark history of the world, when people are liberated from oppression, from tyranny, and they find out for the first time the news, they've been freed and they've been liberated, people don't just be like, oh, that's great. (laughs) Or how about that? You want to go to Starbucks? No, they run. They run in this newfound freedom. They're filled with such energy and anticipation to live their lives that they run. Here's a picture of a psalmist liberated. I remember feeling somewhat sick over the summer. I felt drained, it was maybe a stomach bug or something. And I hated the thought of going to the gym. Not that I don't like working out, but it's just like I have no energy. But when I felt the turn for the better, I didn't just go to the gym and let's just take things easy. But I was doing all these athletic moves. I I have a small gym that I go to, don't judge me. And there's just usually just one or two people there. Usually there's nobody, that's how I like it. And I felt this energy again. And I was like, I'm not sick anymore. And I took my five pound dumbbells and I was just, nobody was watching. And I just wasn't (laughs) just doing the normal things. I was just feeling like I feel so much better and I just want to do all these things that I couldn't do before. That's the image I see in the psalmist. Isn't just a casual, oh, that was great, that's good news, thanks God. But oh, you set my heart free. And I'm going to run. Because sorrow does not have to be the final word over you. Jesus is So that should make your heart sing. And as we wrap up here today, I just, this is very critical to this portion of the Psalm. I wanna highlight the word way. In the Hebrew, because this is an acrostic poem, the stanza starts with what we would call the letter D. And the word for way in Hebrew is Derek. And this word Derek starts five out of the eight lines in this passage. There must be some meaning behind that, some purpose. The psalmist continually highlighted the word Derek, 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 the way, the way, the way, the way of the Lord, not the ways of the world or the false path, the way, the way of the Lord. So do we find comfort and solace in our suffering in the way of our flesh? Like I said in the very beginning, all our escapes Or do we find our solace and our suffering in the way of our gracious Lord? Do we fall before our Savior, Jesus Christ, and say, oh, I need you. Oh, how I need you. Your grace and mercy today. That's the example of gospel-centered living, isn't it? It's, God, it's what you have done for me. This is what I need to remember and rehearse in my mind, not pulling myself up by the bootstraps. Because who could possibly continue to live in the way of the Lord perfectly? Not anyone, except one. And so look to what Christ has done on our behalf by perfectly living in, get it, the true way. He never, ever walked in the false way. Jesus, who obeyed the Father's precepts and honored his decrees 100% faithfully, none of us could say that here. And Jesus, who died on our behalf because we've sinned and broken all of the ways of the Lord, but he rose again to conquer sin and death so that the desire to want to live in his way, the gospel, can be rightfully marked in us. And so, friends, God cares about the matters of the heart. He cares about your sorrow, too. Some of you here might think, well, I haven't lived long enough to God, for god to really take notice so many others are going through so much more sorrow maybe some of you guys are in high school or younger and you're saying i i'll I'll never experience this or this doesn't relate to me no god sees all of us this applies to all of us whether small things or large things our circumstances are all under the sovereign care of our god and so speak to him Pray to him, listen to him through his word, be comforted in whatever sorrow trial you're fighting through with your own strength and be amazed at how critical God's grace and mercy is for you in our weakness, for you and definitely for me. So run to him with your sorrows. Perhaps store this in the back of your mind when that time might come and ask God for strength to share those with others so that we can all participate in this God-glorifying work of gospel-centeredness and ministry, and may your soul be tended to in the most expedient way, all because, and all through the work and power of our Savior Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, this, this topic, this theme of sorrow is a very heavy one for perhaps many here in this time at this moment this morning oh Lord would you comfort them oh Lord would you speak your wonderful truths over their soul would you mend their wounds would you heal their hearts would they be able to then run to you into your word and to share these burdens so that we could help carry them but for all of us oh God help us Lord to fall in love with you and your word to see that this is the nourishment that we need, not the scraps of this world or the idols of our hearts, but the things of you, God. Help us to chew. Help us to drink deeply. Help us to be nourished by your grace and mercy this day. We pray this in Jesus' name.